This podcast is made possible by Host Analytics and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Dave Cohn, CFO of Taylor Morrison, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 322. I send every board deck with every single thing in it to everybody in the company with a deep commentary on the financial position of each of our products. You know, what, you know, how many, what percentage of our customers pay us. And it, and it, it changed the debate uh, within the company on, on how we do things from almost like a you know, religious debate, uh, you know, to, to actually an informed debate. It's really made our, our 1,400 people at the company informed consumers of financial information to, to actually make much better decisions at all levels of the company. Um, there's obviously a risk to being that radically transparent, um, but I have to say that the benefits of informing everybody in the company at all levels to that level of depth have far outweighed the risk that I perceive. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Tom Foley, CFO of Unity Technologies, the developer of virtual reality and augmented reality technologies. Among the items we explore with Mike is his application of radical transparency, a concept that demonstrates how company financials can be used to help companies achieve a unified vision through greater employee buy-in and morale. We'll speak to Mike about radical transparency and much more after these words from our sponsor. It's no secret finance professionals are dealing with some pretty complex problems these days. Now more than ever, they need tools that can help them streamline complex workflows and focus on bigger strategic issues. By bringing your finance organization together on a single cloud platform, Host Analytics automates everyday processes that would otherwise slow you down. By streamlining your planning, modeling, consolidation, reporting, and analytics, Host helps you connect your organization so you can react more quickly to changing conditions and make better business decisions to optimize performance. Let Host Analytics be your partner in leading the evolution of your business. my career in three phases. Uh, the first phase was pretty traditional, I guess, for a CFO. I, I, I came from the UK, did a chartered accountancy, worked at Pricewaterhouse for a few years doing audits. So that gave me that grounding in the, I guess, initial technical aspects of the role. Uh, but I shifted from there and did 10 years of, of M&A and, and corporate development. And I, I think that obviously brought me into much more of kind of a strategic orientation. I uh, spent my time at Microsoft and then running uh, M&A at EA, uh, the, the video game company. And um, you know, that was very much sort of strategic financial combination. 
And then the final few years, when I was a VA prior to this role, I was running strategic planning fully, uh, and that included some interesting aspects like I licensed Star Wars from Disney, uh, you know, the biggest license ever done in the game industry, um, and, and gave me very high exposure to the board and, uh, and so on. And I think all of that combined prepared me well to, to be a first-time CFO, which is what I am today. Hi, we're speaking to Mike Foley, CFO of Unity Technologies, the developer whose software is now at the heart of Pokemon Go and other video games. Unity has made a big bet on virtual reality and augmented reality technologies. Its uh, engine is now said to be responsible for something like 70% of all such experiences. Mike, welcome. Thank you. Your uh, professional career really was launched in the UK, uh, but then you you set down roots, um, I guess, here in the US, professional roots anyway. What would you tell us about that, uh, how how you went about that? Yeah, that's right. I I did um, did about 10 years in the UK at uh, Pricewaterhouse and Ernst & Young and then a private equity firm. Uh, And then, you know, decided I had enough of London and and, uh, came to do an MBA over in the U.S., intending to go back to the U.K., but never did. And uh, from there, from the MBA, I went to Microsoft, uh, to EA, and then Unity. Yes. So let me point out, you have a rather uh, high-calorie corporate development resume, having uh, left Microsoft to become Senior Vice President of Corporate Development at Electronic Arts, and your MBA uh, is from Harvard, which I underscore only to make the point that uh, you clearly had multiple paths you could advance down, but you chose finance, which uh, leads me to the question, what was uh, the finance leadership role that you saw that you wanted to create for yourself here at, at uh, Unity? Yeah, so I... The, the coming from a, a corporate development background, what, one thing that uh, I would observe is that there are not too many people uh, still doing uh, that kind of job uh, uh, in the late stages of their career. Uh, frankly, there's a practicality to it. Uh, you can be doing all-nighters uh, on some of these deals, and uh, I don't want to be doing that uh, in, in my, my late 40s and 50s. So there's an element of that there. But the, the CFO role itself, um, you know, I was excited to come over to, to Unity, join the old, uh, the, the prior CEO of Electronic Arts, who's now the CEO of Unity. Uh, he brought me over, um, trusted me with this role, uh, and I was excited to be able to, you know, bring uh, not just the financial orientation that all CFOs can bring, but also to be a really kind of strategic thought partner uh, alongside him and with the rest of the management team, um, because we've been guiding this company on an incredibly fast growth path with very high levels of investment in some areas that, you know, are uncharted territory, as you mentioned, with VR and AR in particular. And I think that takes much more than, you know, financial analysis to be able to guide a company in, 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 in that direction. And I was really excited to be able to bring my experience in, in strategic planning and M&A to the, the CFO role, uh, put those two skill sets together, because um, I think that's really what, what is needed to, to be successful for, for this kind of company. 
In, in the time you've been there, it looks like there was a number of uh, sort of funding milestones uh, where you raised uh, capital along the way. Um, but I'm curious as to, uh, as you look to augment the finance function, what was the type of team you wanted to put in place? You felt, you know, here are the skills we need in this finance team. What, 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 did, what did you have to do to get the, the team in the shape you wanted? Um, a lot. Uh, I, I, when I joined here, the team was um, uh, less than 20 people, three regional teams who operated autonomously, a, a European, an Asian, and a North American team of about five people each um, who barely talked to each other. Um, they, they created local stat accounts, and that was about it. All generalists. Um, what I've, I've built and frankly had to build is a completely different organization that is much more functional expertise. So we have an F, you know, financial planning, an FP&A team that didn't exist that is, is now up and running and, and uh, doing a great job. We ha I hired a controller and he has hired a lot of the functional expertise the larger scale companies need, a revenue recognition team in the U.S. Um, I hired a head of tax. This company that existed for 10 years without a single tax person. Um, that so she, she's done a great job of uh, uh, of digging out of that hole. Um, and then the the latest and highest priority for me is is on the system side. I'm I'm hiring a, a CIO right now, and and putting in place uh, a strong you know backend systems organization that that historically you know hasn't really been here at Unity. So. It's been a major revamp of the finance organization uh, in the last two years. Now, given your background, there's little doubt uh, that, that you're quite uh, a good judge of technology talent. I, I don't, not every CFO uh, might feel comfortable uh, being able to identify the right person for that role. Uh, this CTO role is a rather senior role within that company, I imagine. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's uh, uh, as an observation, I would say, you know, 10 or maybe 20 years ago, the, the IT organization was, you know, an important support, an important supporter role and uh, for, for finance and for the company in general. I think today it's beyond mission critical that you have a great um, systems architecture that is able to deliver high quality data. Um, in, in a real-time manner. I, we just can't run the company without that. Um, and, and it's been absent uh, at this company and in, in many companies. Um, and, and so it's just so essential for us to be able to do that. Um, and so as I look to hire this CIO, I'm looking for someone who has a very modern and current perspective on, you know, things like off-the-shelf software versus, uh, you know, uh, in-house built software. Uh, best practices around security, best practices around integration of uh, SaaS applications. Uh, you know, I, I've seen that space evolve a great deal over the last 10 years, and I'm looking for someone who's right at the forefront of, of that thinking. Um, so so you, you're right that in technology, it's evolved very quickly in the last decade, I would say. Will you rely on uh, executive search to help you with that, or no? Is your network you're more comfortable operating with your network, or maybe it's both? Um, generally, a combination of network, and, and we have a really strong in-house uh, recruiting team. We actually don't use external recruiters for any role, believe it or not. Um, we have a large uh, in-house recruiting team. We've hired 
we've gone from 450 people to nearly 1,400 people in the last two and a half years. So um, it, it's made sense to have a really robust in, inside uh, recruiting organization. And we have a great exec recruiter here, and we have over 100 uh, candidates for this role. So I feel pretty good about the pipeline. It's just getting down to finding the right one. Uh, you mentioned uh, revenue recognition. Just curious about the nature of this business. Are you going to be impacted by SSC 606? Uh, yes, very much so. Um, the, the, the elements of our business, um, w one of them is relatively straightforward, which is a large revenue stream for us, is our advertising business. Um, we have a, a strong, robust, and high-growth advertising business, which isn't super affected uh, by 606 relatively. However, we also have a subscription uh, business, which uh, you know is affected by that. We, we have partner uh, deals with larger game companies. They're multi-element deals. And then finally, we have uh, highly complex um, and custom deals with large platform companies like Google and, and Facebook and Microsoft. And that whole area, of course, will be very significantly affected by 606, um, especially you know, having to go retrospectively and, and, and restate. Um, and then, of course, commissions. And you know, just like many SaaS uh, subscription companies, we have a commission structure, and that's going to be affected in terms of capitalization. So we, we have a, a pretty uh, significant uh, investment of time uh, behind us and ahead of us on that area. And I'm wondering, is this something that, you know, you would begin just discussing and updating at, at regular meeting intervals with your team? Or do you form like a separate SWAT team to help understand better what's the best way to address this? Yeah, our, our, our approach is, you know, first of all, uh, you know, a, a small team of, of technical accountants we have here, head of revenue recognition and, and technical accountant, uh, spent you know, a good amount of time understanding uh, the, the implications, we formed uh, uh, what you'd think of as a, a sort of small steering committee uh, around uh, 606 that, you know, starting to meet on a regular basis as we get through the, the planning and implementation uh, of it um, and making sure that we then feed back the implications to our sales and business development organization so they're educated on it and, and how they might adjust, for example, the complexity and, and uh, you know, getting to more standardization around some of the deals they do. Um, so we, we are putting dedicated resources, you know, probably around four to five people uh, on it for, you know, the next year essentially, plus a steering committee on top of that. Okay. I want to find out more about uh, Unity and just understand uh, the marketplace out there. Again, you, you touched on briefly the virtual reality and augmented reality. I saw a number something like Unity is now responsible uh, for something like empowering 70% of these types of experiences out there today. So it looks like you're already uh, the mover, the first mover, the leader uh, of, in the space, uh, not knowing it all that well. Uh, but, but what would you tell us about this marketplace? And yes, I would imagine the risk is there as well. You're, you're going down a path, uh, and uh, it's, it's very new and uh, very entrepreneurial. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a lot of fun to be in a space that, um, you know, I, I, I think most people, um, observers uh, of technology, would, would have conviction now that VR, in particular AR, are going to be a massive sort of tectonic shift in, in the technology landscape. 
in, in the simplest sense, you can think of it as replacing many of the functions of the internet today. Um, so we're not talking about a piece of technology here. We're talking about a really fundamental shift towards you know, sort of visual computing uh, from looking at things on a screen. I mean, people are three-dimensional. We absorb information more efficiently when we see it and observe it in a three-dimensional way. And so almost every use case for the internet today can be better done in a VR, AR environment. Um, uh, now, so this, there's, I think, absolute conviction that it's going to happen. The, where there's no conviction is when it's going to happen. Uh, and frankly, you know, our company has insight into what most of the large platform players are doing, and even we don't know when it's going to happen. So uh, that, that says that really nobody does. Um, but you know, uh, VR in the next couple of years, you know, the, the initial early uh, sort of almost prototype models of hardware will evolve quickly. Uh, we'll have uh, you know, mobile uh, VR is likely to be uh, the fastest, earliest uh, adoption by consumers. Um, and then augmented reality, which of course is you know uh, interacting with the real world elements as well as uh, virtual elements overlaying on your eye. Uh, that's likely to take longer. I don't think that will be anything at scale for probably five years. The technology has to develop a great deal uh, from where it is today, but again, likely to be a really massive shift in, in the technology landscape when it does uh, start to appear at scale. Um, so it's an exciting place to be. It creates challenges for a company like us, which has been focused purely on the game industry and, and historically. Uh, VR and AR is not about games, it's about really any experience and, and the fun thing is we're seeing so many companies that use Unity for you know virtual reality and augmented reality use cases that we never even thought of. Um, so the, 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 the world is coming to us, we're not going out and selling Unity to these guys. So that, that's a great place to be but it's also an interesting challenge uh, when you think about your sales organization who's lined up against a bunch of game developers. You know, how do we actually go to market um, with all of the uncertainty in front of us. So it's a fun challenge, but it's still a challenge nonetheless. So if I was to ask you what those key metrics are that you uh, you, you pay close attention to, I would imagine cash is, is uh, still a, a primary concern for a fast-growing company like this one. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I certainly view uh, the the first priority of, of me uh, is to make sure we have enough cash in the business and to be able to pay our people. Um, you know, within the business itself, if you think about the two key revenue streams we have today, we've got a subscription business and of course that's the number of paid seats, the monthly recurring revenue per seat and the churn are, are the metrics we follow there. On the ad advertising business, which is a, you know, a large revenue driver for us today, um, you know, we, that's really about the monthly active users that are in our ad network and the effective, you know, CPM uh, of our ads and gross in net revenue are the key things we track there. <clears throat> looking forward in terms of <clears throat> health of the business, we're looking at things like engagement with the product, of course, and uh, you know how how fast the monthly active user base of Unity overall is growing, and then segmenting that by the types of uh, types of user. The, that's within that and uh, making sure that continues to strengthen. Okay, we'd like to ask for what we call a finance uh, strategic moment, Mike, and this is simply a moment of strategic insight that you've had along the way during your career, one that was distinct to 
uh, sort of a finance uh, uh, leader who's able to look into the organization um, and, and, and have those unique lines of sight that only finance people have. As a corporate development executive, you would have also shared uh, the ability to do that. Um, so I'm wondering if anything comes to mind, if I was to add, we used to call this the aha moment, and I'm struggling now to come up with a better way of phrasing it. But we've had lots of little interesting uh, times shared with us, and I uh, would love to see if anyone comes to mind for you. Yeah, I mean, there, there's lots of little things. I, I mean, I think one thing that uh, maybe cuts across, like uh, something that, that I chose to do that, that had a really big impact on the company, um, it, it, and it may be a little a little counterintuitive. Um, I joined a company here, you know, the Unity, a couple of years ago that is an incredibly mission-driven company. People work here really uh, like I've never seen anywhere else to, to fulfill the mission of, for us, democratizing development, um, meaning putting these really powerful game engine tools in the hands of anybody, whether they can pay for it or not. And, and in most cases, uh, the people who use Unity don't pay for it. Where where that gets interesting, of course, is as the CFO needing, you know, and it's important that we can drive revenue of the business. And, you know, the danger at the margin is that those two conflict with each other. Uh, I think many companies face this uh, at, at times. How do we do the right thing by all of the users of our products while making sure that we can grow the revenue line? The most important thing I did to, to, to kind of inform that internal debate within the company Oddly enough, was just radical transparency on our financials um, in a way that I really didn't expect to do coming in or to be to ever do as a CFO. I sent every board deck with every single thing in it to everybody in the company with a deep commentary on the financial position of each of our products. You know what? You know how many? What percentage of our customers pay us? And and it it changed the debate. Uh, within the company on on how we do things, from almost like a you know religious debate, uh, you know, to to actually an informed debate, um, where you've got 1,400 people who have all the information that the board has and more, uh, starting to talk about how to bring these two almost competing ideals of of building a strong business and 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 putting these powerful tools in the hands of many people as possible. To, to, to bringing most people towards the center of thinking about how to you know work those two together versus you know sort of being strongly religious on you know, some, some people were saying make our product free for example well now they understand that that's not practically feasible uh, looking at the you know the, the business uh, others uh, you know wanted to, to you know make it much more expensive for example and they, they understand that we want to grow our market share so it's really made our, our 1,400 people at the company informed consumers of financial information to, to actually make much better decisions at all levels of the company. Um, there's obviously a risk to being that radically transparent, um, but I have to say that the benefits of informing everybody in the company at all levels to that level of depth have far outweighed any risks that I perceive um, of, for example, that information leaking outside the company. So um, it's not really an aha moment per se, but the, 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 the response I got to sending that depth of information to everybody in the company has been extremely positive. 
and, and really has in, uh, elevated the discussion within the company on, on how we run and how, and how we make decisions. All right. I'm trying to digest this because what you've described is something so unlike <laughs> the mindset of so many CFOs. The uh, And again, it's, it seems like it's almost a, it's a way to energize the culture, to get buy-in from employees who in some ways felt dislocated for whatever reason. Different philosophies as to where the company is headed can be sort of united, um, given the information that you've supplied. Um, but, but you're also responsible for managing the risk, which it would seem that even uh, for competitive intelligence reasons, 1,400 people have this deck that, that pretty much probably reveals the company's strategy overall. Is there, and again, I'm sure this has been debated, and the thought was there's just too much positive energy that comes from this. Am I characterizing this crazy, or is there a... Um, oh, that's right. I'm, I'm on that's the page exactly with you. Right. You're exactly right. Now, I don't know if that what what I'm doing here is is you know like a replicable lesson learned for every company. I think there's an element here that our competitive landscape um, certainly you know there's there's competitive intelligence in those those decks that lots of companies would be interested in. But you know, frankly speaking, we've got one serious competitor uh, in our in our market. Uh, you know, you mentioned we're 70% AR and VR development where you know close to half of games in the world are made on unity today so we 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 have a, a position whereby there's really you know frankly one company that i would not like that deck to get in the hands of uh and and most others uh it's it's really that the risk that we're taking as a company isn't to do with market forces or competitors as much as it is to do with the heavy level of execution that we have to do and i think that does influence um you know my willingness to be more open with the information um, because really at the end of the day we've got to line up and execute and if we do we'll do well you know VR and AR is going to evolve as a market if we can maintain our position in that market we're going to do well that's all execution and but it needs to be informed everyone needs to be informed so we're all pulling in the same direction so it's a calculated risk and you know maybe we'll talk in a year and I'll be kicking myself I hope not no, and of all places for you to adopt this uh, radical transparency, Silicon Valley, I mean, um, and just, you know, again, uh, it's sort of synonymous with Silicon Valley culture in a way to be secretive. But let me ask about the talent economy, and you, you seem to be uh, pretty much focused on this as we touched on your um, discussion around the CTO. Um uh, when it comes to the organization's workforce, uh, and, and this being a you know a fast growth firm, I would imagine you're uh, you're somewhat involved in the discussion of hiring. And what would you uh, share with us as far as your role as a finance leader in helping this company sort of architect its workforce or incentive the decision making around the workforce? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, I mean, there's yeah, I mean, there's the obvious elements of you know running the planning function and therefore, you know, uh, having a, an overall perspective on the rate of growth of the workforce uh, as, as somewhat of a constraint, you know, we, we, we target a number of hires for, for the upcoming year and then within that, what's the right level of prioritization of, you know, the competing resource requirements of different departments. So that, that's sort of the obvious thing. I think where I'm spending some time lately just, just so happens um, is is on location strategy. Um, you know, we we have 
uh, actually a very large number of locations, more than frankly I, I would I would like to have just you know on a blank sheet of paper. I wouldn't end up with 20 offices, but that's where we are, um, and it's it's had its benefits. Uh, and having that many offices is of course a competitive advantage in a sense to hiring. If we set up a Pittsburgh office so we could have five people who happen to be great engineers and they want to live in Pittsburgh, well. I'm not sure Google or Facebook would have done that. Um, so it's given as the benefit, but of course the downside as well of having many offices. Um, so uh, uh, what, one element is that, and you know, as I look at where we are today, I can see that we have a, a great critical mass in Montreal. There are great engineers there. It's a low-cost location, and there are tax rebates available. Um, that leads me to interject into the conversation: Should we be, you know, building more in that location? Uh, of course, San Francisco here, uh, let's just say it's not the cheapest location to be, uh, and there's a lot of uh, great engineers, but also an incredibly competitive market for it. So uh, thinking about location strategy as we think about how to build a sustainable engineering organization that has low churn, which we, we've had the benefit of today, our, our churn in our engineering organization is extremely low. Uh, Sequoia is an investor list in their portfolio, for example. Um, but we want to make sure we can sustain that, you know, in the longer term. It's it's not particularly difficult to have low churn when you're a high growth company, but you know, you've got to plan for the long term. So location strategy is one right now where I am significantly involved in, in thinking about the, the hiring challenge. Okay. We're gonna to move to our mentoring round where I ask you several quick questions intended to help inspire and mentor aspiring uh, finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Well, I mean, uh, the, 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 the role of, of finance is, I mean, I, I, I perceive it's, it's becoming much more central to the success of organizations. Uh, I mean, I, we, we get involved now by necessity in, in everything from, you know, the, the product, uh, you know, product planning to pricing, uh, to go to market, um, all, you know, all the way through to the more technical aspects of accounting. Uh, I think it's a much bigger role than it has been in years past. Um, you know, I was hired by our CEO, not because I'm an expert in 606, I'm not, but because uh, someone with a financial orientation is essential to be a really good strategic partner to the CEO. So, uh, you know, be, being able to bring together the elements of financial understanding with, uh, you know, some, you know, hopefully other elements of strategic uh, work that you may have done in the past, whether it's licensing or M&A or strat planning, whatever it might be, is is the, the combination, I think, that many uh, CEOs look for in a CFO today. Uh, and that makes it a much more sort of fun and interesting role than, you know, if you like, just being uh, the financial accountant uh, of the business. Uh, so it, it's actually, bizarrely, a really fun uh, place to be. You see everything in the company, and you have a strategic role. Um, and yet, you know, you're not the CEO, and that's fine by me. I have no aspirations to be one. Um, so it's just that the role has changed over time to be much more strategic and, frankly, therefore more fun, uh, which is why I really wanted to get to this seat at some point in my career. So when you arrived there as a CFO, what is it that you wish someone had perhaps told you 
as you entered that office? What is that piece of advice you wish you had the day you entered? Is there a personal habit that you have that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, suppose, I don't know if I'd call it personal habits. Uh, I mean, I, I talk to when I talk to you know certainly younger uh, folks. I, I talked to our intern class just two days ago, and you know at that stage of career, I, I was a pretty mediocre uh, financial analyst uh, in my first couple of years. And it came as kind of a shock to me that it was pretty mediocre. Uh, and there were really just two things I changed at that, at that stage of my career that, that almost immediately, you know, frankly, made me the number one in the class kind of guy. And it was, <clears throat> it was as simple as this. Every single piece of work I did, I would refuse to hand it over until I had stopped and rechecked it all, like every single thing. Re and every time I did that, I found a mistake, like every single time. That was discipline number one. Discipline number two was when I came into work in the morning, there's always a thing in the back of my mind I don't want to do, and I do that first. And everybody goes through their day with the thing in the back of their mind they don't want to do. And so I would just make myself do it first. Um, and those two things just really transformed my early part of my career to like jump me to the top, if you like, from in terms because quality was higher. Uh, and I was getting the things done that other people maybe wouldn't have. So that was like the early part of my career that I think really kind of got me to on, on, a, on a faster track, if you will. I ended up getting promoted every six months through that period. Um, the thing I, I think I do more, more lately in my, in my career, and, and sort of an odd, yes, an odd thing to say, but I've never been scared of losing my job, and it's given me a level of freedom to, to tell, tell it like it is, and I think that's a really, really important aspect of a CFO. Um, you know, lots of people might be nervous about saying something to the CEO. The CFO can't be one of those people. You have to tell them like it is, and you, you, and every every CFO knows when a CEO doesn't want to hear something, but you tell them it anyway. Um, and I, I think you know part of the reason you know when I was at EA, we would do some acquisitions, and I would say we shouldn't do this deal, and while well, the entire management team was saying we should, um, and. Uh, that's actually why I think I got hired by the CEO because I was the one telling him we shouldn't do it. Well, we still went on and did those deals, but at the end of the day, he would respect that I'd be willing to go against the crowd and tell him something he didn't want to hear. Um, to me, that's probably the most important thing is just being trusted to be straight no matter what. Do you, do you have a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Well, I've got a. It's it's a completely non-standard uh, relative to finance, but I think in 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 a forward-looking sense. Um, so one of the most important aspects of our business today is our analytics data and our many businesses. It's the data that you have that that creates a strategic strategic value for your business. And understanding the value of data is is a and 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 in particular today, machine learning and how that can drive value for your business is a really new and, and, and important aspect of, of how a lot of companies are driving value, including Unity. Unity is now the biggest analytics network in the history of the game industry. And the data we have is, is vast. And we have the head of machine learning from Amazon and Uber who joined us. And that's, that's going to be a really strategically important part of our business. It doesn't show up in the P&L today. It shows up as a cost. And so understanding that that's the most important asset we have 
um, while it doesn't show up in the PNL, is a really important thing to understand. And so in that respect, you know, you've got to start with the, the foundations of how machine learning and, and AI and such work. And so, you know, the couple of books, you know, Superintelligence is probably the, the best known uh, book out there on, on the topic. And I, I just recommend that have, have a loose, you know, a, a basic familiarity with the concepts of uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Uh, it, it sounds like, you know, some crazy science stuff that has nothing to do with with CFOs, it, it's actually the crux of the value of half the companies in Silicon Valley, um, and Unity would be included in, in that. So it, that's an area I really had to work to understand to make sure that you know I get it strategically, and so I recommend other CFOs do that. Thought Leader listeners. I hope you're enjoying our talk with Mike Foley of Unity Technologies. But we do have some business. We have to pay the rent here. So we're going to have a few words from our sponsor, and then we'll come back and we'll ask Mike for his finance leader priorities over the next 12 months. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay. What are your priorities then as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Yeah, so um, the the first priority is, is simply getting our systems uh, in good shape. Uh, we implemented an ERP just a few weeks ago. Um, you know, we've got a lot of work to get through the, the first, second, and third phase of implementation and other systems like Blackline and Avalar Attacks and so on. We need that systems architecture. We really want it all in place by the end of 17, so that through 2018, we're really running reps on those systems to improve our close process and get to, by the end of 2018, operating at you know, pretty much a public company standard. So that, that's the, you know, the first thing. You mentioned 606 earlier. We've got a plan to you know, obviously um, be, be able to be compliant on 606 in the time frame we need to. Uh, and that's a, that's a must do, of course. So uh, there's work there. Um, business intelligence is the third. Um, uh, Related to systems, uh, also bringing in BI capability so that we can really have high-quality, real-time, accurate information and insight on what's happening in the business. We have a fairly complex business that has a high level of transactions, and I want to get the systems in place, but then the intelligence on top of that so that we can make you know, good decisions about, about the business. Um, those, those, are, those are a few of the top priorities today. 
Hi, it's Jack Sweeney with a quick note that CFO Thought Leader now has a quarterly print magazine. That's right, print. Each issue will profile 25 different CFOs. Let me repeat that, 25 CFOs. Other uh, print publications are lucky if they're able to bring you five CFOs per issue. What we understand is that you want to consume content in multiple ways. But wait a minute, there's something more here. We wanted this print magazine to be a podcast companion. So when you receive it, we want you to quickly thumb through it and maybe identify which episodes you have missed. We want you to dog ear those pages, as well as uh, perhaps the pages that feature CFOs from episodes you already listened to but found maybe a little extra value from. 12 months later, you will have a library of 100 CFO profiles highlighted with your insights or comments alongside the CFO thought leaders. Now, how much are we charging for this one-of-a-kind 100 CFO profile library? Annual subscriptions are $119. We think that's reasonable. We thought about it a little bit, but that's, that's what we came up with. Uh, visit us and subscribe to CFO Thought Leader magazine at cfothoughtleader.com, where the future of finance is listening.